I can't tell if y'all are serious or not. <laughs> the, here's the thing about the, the TVs. The TVs are not really TVs. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. They are copious amounts of crack cocaine. Um, mm -hmm. Beautiful stuff. They love it out there in Saskatoon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this podcast contains explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Thundercast. My name is Christian. My name is Lucas. And I'm Liam, here with another podcast that just talks about movies. That's right. Today we are coming to you live from a second-run movie theater playing your favorites, your favorite movies. This time it's it's actually kind of packed. It's not like in Screening of Cats. There's actually people here, so we have to mm. wrap this episode quick so that they can start yeah. the screening. <laughs> uh, so who's... Because I have a feeling it's two, mo three movies in the background that are going to play on loop for the whole weekend. Not these ones. Yes. No, they're not playing. No, it's 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 a movie theater that the three uh, of us have gone in it's, on. It's this one. Yeah. Is yeah. It, are they playing? Oh shit! Yeah. Are they playing quarterback empire? <laughs> they're doing the Bengal Denhouse marathon. You didn't, Liam? Did you bought tickets for us? No, I didn't. <laughs> that was somebody else, dude. You never told me about this. Oh, it's weird. Well, oh, you know what I realized? We're, we're, uh, oh, that was the other Liam. Right. It's a, it was what other Liam's do you know? Now I feel <laughs> No, the tickets fuck, the tickets actually <laughs> said the tickets said uh purchased by B D E N. So I think Bengal Denhouse himself bought us tickets for this. Oh shit. <laughs> this marathon. Oh, anyway, today we are sponsored by our patrons. Every single one of you will get a shout out at the end of the show. Today we are talking about modern classics, more specifically movies that have come out roughly in the past 10 years um, that we feel like in the next 10 to 20 years will be considered modern classics. Um, Whether but, or not you think that's long enough to determine if something's a classic, we'll leave up to your judgment. And up to Liam's judgment, mm -hmm. apparently. Uh, anyway, <laughs> first up, we're going to jump right into the ingestion. Um, I haven't gone first in a while, so I'll Go for it. just riff on it. Um, so one of these things Liam and I actually saw together in a movie theater, so I won't say much about that. But Do you want to end on that one, and then we can just transition into the next like, like I'll end on it, and then it goes to you. You mean? Yeah, and then we can yeah. just the usual formula. So I saw to start out. I saw Clifford the Big Red Dog. Um, just I saw it with my sister. Um, I don't really talk much about about my personal life or anything, but she likes those kind of movies for personal reasons. And uh, I'll tell you what, it wasn't awful. Oh, <laughs> it was. It's not a good movie per se, but it's charming, it's heartwarming, and it's also a movie I know I will never watch again. So considering all of those things, it really wasn't that bad. Um, it all it, It's one of those classic cases where it ends on just like a really big, long, bring all the neighborhood together speech kind of things um, that's really stereotypical and formulaic, but it was okay. And then Clifford himself isn't as horrifying as maybe the trailers may have made him seem. Uh, when, if you've seen any of the production... He didn't, even, he didn't even look horrifying. He just looked like a dog that they spray-painted red. And then blew up. Like It's just like they went into Photoshop or whatever and just went... <laughs> Here's a big it's fucking like went, dog. <laughs> it's like they went the reverse route of those dumbass Alvin and the Chipmunk or Yogi Bear movies. Yeah, pretty much. Anyway, it like performances are pretty mediocre. Uh, the dog the is only, good though. 
I'll tell you that. The only Do- person I know. Hey, Oscar-worthy performance. The only person <laughs> I know uh, who I'm familiar with, at least to my knowledge that's in it, is uh, uh, one of the kids from that uh, Kurt Russell uh, Santa Claus movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She plays Emily. Uh, you know, Clifford and But Emily. we're not even going to call her by her full name, isn't it? Emily Elizabeth? They're just say, leaving it at Emily? No, they say it. They say Emily Elizabeth a lot throughout the movie. But shocked that I know that. <laughs> I <I'm> do. <too. laughs> yeah. Where'd you pull that? Oh, yeah, from? that's right. I had a little brother. Yeah. I, I also, had two younger siblings. <laughs> I like the Clifford show. It was fine. Uh, but yeah, it's w- harmless. It's it's not going to offend anybody. I'll tell you that. Um, and then I finally saw Dune. So if you go back and listen to our post show, which you can find on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Lunar Lizard. There you go. There's a plug right there. Um, we talked about Dune pretty much at great length because I, I wasn't super excited about going and seeing it. And these two had seen it and both enjoyed it. Fair, I'd say Liam more than Lucas, right? I think that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, there. Uh, what is it? I mean, I also got the opportunity to see it twice. So that probably uh, helped. Uh, that probably helped where I was at. Probably. Yeah. So I would go Liam, Lucas, me in terms of who liked it because I didn't hate it. I thought it was a fucking really well-made movie. Um, the performances are fantastic. Some of the writing is just like really out there. Um, it's really like we've probably we we'll, I'll cover all the bases that we've probably already covered, but it's um, very unapologetically itself. It doesn't hold your hand. It just kind of explains things to itself, and then it's just like you didn't get that. Eh, well, fuck you then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then keeps moving along through those through those things. Um, like plot elements, dialogue, um, were there lore. Any, sir, were there any points where you felt a little lost or? At the very end, I was kind of like, I have no idea what anything anyone is saying anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also I could gather all the information through context, you know? So I wasn't lost, I should say. It was just like some of the dialogue and the explanations I found it confusing just because there's so many big made-up fantasy words, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I will say I will never forget the word or the phrase Bene Gesserit, um, just because it sounds so <laughs> cool. Um, I actually and the Gamjabar, uh, the Gamjabar. <laughs> I asked uh, a Patreon subscriber of ours, if and friend of mine as well, I should say, transparency sake, if he thought that the Bene Gesserit would ever use an alethiometer, mostly just because I wanted to say those words <laughs> together. <laughs> and he was like, probably not. It's <laughs> like, good, yeah, probably not. I feel like they would use an alethiometer. But. <laughs> but they wouldn't really need to because they can like read minds and shit. So like, sorta, yeah, kind of, right. Anyway, um, well, there you go. There's one of those understandings that I thought they could read minds. <laughs> no, well, I I also probably have the best understanding of this story because I've I've read the full book once and then I read the first half uh, a second time before the movie. Also, came out. in the two times I had to see this movie, I also had the benefit of talking to my aunt for like three hours on the phone where she. She, where hers, she is a Dune freak, explained every single detail that, uh, yeah. that was thrown in there. So I was like, okay, so, all right, that makes sense. So, yeah, like, D- Dune, Dune is a dense work of fiction. There's a lot going yeah. on. Um, so, yeah, I didn't hate it. I thought it was, in terms of just it, in terms of its production or anything like that, I thought it was quite outstanding. Um, you know, like some of the, the, the graphic design or not graphic design, the like production design. And the um, uh, G- CGI and everything like that was very well made. I want mm-hmm. one of those goddamn dragonfly helicopters so bad. I uh, they're called ornithopters. Uh, an ornithopter. Uh, yeah. But yeah, didn't make me hate Timothy Chalamet any less. So 
that's <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not. He he does still have a very punchable face. I yes. guess I one of the many people Christian hates for no fucking reason. Yeah. One of them we'll also talk about again. We'll talk about in a few minutes. Yes, that's a fact. <laughs> um, however, the story, everything like that, just didn't grab me the way that I think it grabbed a lot of people. Um, I'm not huge on like politically based and politically fueled um, media uh, and, and in fiction and everything like that. It, I have always like, yes, I understand that it's an integral part of the story and it's an integral part of a lot of fiction and filmmaking and storytelling in general. It's just things like that when it's so densely revolving around political intrigue and espionage, well, not call it espionage, but sabotage or things. Of power that. structures, yeah, ploys. Power, yeah, power structures, uh, interweaving of, of families and whatnot. It just doesn't do much for me because I always find that I've, I'm always a person who f follows a movie or a story better when I can follow along with one person. Um, rather than following along with multiple different things revolving around everything all the time. Like even going and reading um, The Shadow of the Torture or anything in the book of the New Sun, yeah, there's a lot of po politics and there's a lot of like religious debate going on in the background, but you're mostly following Severian, right? And in this, there's, yeah, you're mostly following Paul, but you also have everything else that's happening around Paul that he's not privy to that you, the audience, are being yeah. given out, and, like, an inside like, you and, got and, that and, thing. In, in this movie, in the first half of the story, Paul is not, like, an active protagonist. Right. Things are just happening to him and around him. He's not like, making anything happen like, yet. He's kind of learning things while you have something going on with his dad. You've got another thing going on with his mom. You've got something going on with these dudes on another planet. You've yeah. got a... Uh, Something going on with his uh, role model and best friend. Da 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 da. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's a lot of tap dancing going on. Um, I think my favorite performance in that whole movie is Oscar Isaac's. Um, oh yeah. Especially this scene. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Um, just because I was like, that's hard to do. That's a hard performance to, to give off and still give off something that's emotional <laughs> and be like, like completely to be, paralyzed, to be, like limp yet tense limp yet tense at the same time yeah exactly yeah um and also man those abs i'm just kidding uh <laughs> shocked shocked he was not sexiest man alive and paul rudd won that uh, honor um uh, anyway yeah i liked it fine uh i'll go see the second one i don't think i'll ever watch the first one again outside of maybe getting myself up to date again when the second one comes out mm -hmm. but outside of that i don't know if it, it, it's not something i'm going to seek out like the lord of the rings or like star wars or anything like that so oh, yeah. yeah so there's dune we've all seen it now <laughs> um and then i've been watching abc's the muppets um which is a situational comedy one one camera setup um mockumentary style um sitcom. it's the office with muppets it's the office with muppets that's what it is <laughs> it ran for one season and probably rightfully so but it's on disney plus i don't know i enjoy it i think i also just love muppets and also having kermit the frog reference fucking miss piggy a lot um is very weird <laughs> and even though kermit also says been... hell a couple times which is weird even wow. though the whole show has been called out by ever just about everybody who worked on the muppets saying that it's just a bad sellout it is but i don't care i enjoy it um <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's that. Then finally, moving into something Liam and I had seen together is we saw last night in Soho, uh, mm. which is Edgar Wright's new film starring uh, Thomason McKenzie and uh, 
Anya Taylor-Joy, Taylor Terrence Stamp is there, and uh, so is Matt Smith. Matt Smith. I've been yeah. seeing a lot of ads for that movie. Yeah, they're going to yes. market the shit out of it because I'll tell you this, Lucas, it's not very good. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing, though. It's, it's really good up until the third act, and then mm. it just really falls down a well. It's, uh, it's a movie where um, it's a director of a top of his craft, like pretty much every frame and the way he directs it and puts it together is very is exceptionally done. Like Edgar Wright, I'm amazed is shown on how capable of a director he's shown on like uh, staging, blocking, um, like making f- scenes look visually striking. And I mean, we've all known the editing, but like knowing, realizing that he's able to do editing that's outside of his original wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Like Edgar Wright continues to impress me on that front. The problem, though, is that it's engaging enough. Like, it's not great. It's pretty good for uh, most of it. But then you get to the third act where it just falls apart. I've always said that uh, the biggest problem I've always thought Edgar Wright has had as a storyteller or filmmaker is that he's not very good at endings. Yeah. Even movies I like, I don't think have very good endings. Like, I like Hot Fuzz. I think that ending goes on way too long. Mm. Um. The World's End, I love that movie, but I think it has a really stupid ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, even Shaun of the Dead is um, kind of thematically muddled when you get to the last uh, few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this one, it's like uh, this ending. It's this ending has every single thing I've criticized Edgar Wright move ending for, except it's a long, big ending, mm-hmm. and it just kind of thematically muddies the rest of a movie. Which is a shame because they had so much going for it beforehand that was really, really interesting. And one idea in particular that I thought was really fascinating that got kind of broken by the ending. Essentially, the whole movie seems to be about at first of uh, the idea of like obsessing over nostalgia or a past that you never got to experience until it consumes and kills you or is trying to kill you. But that's um, not what the movie ends up being about. Yeah, like when you get all. to the ending, well, and when you get to the ending, it's like, I don't know what to take away from it. Like, because it just gets so confused as to, like, what it's trying to say or get across, or at least, like, how I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, again, I was really disappointed by uh, was it by how it, pay, how it played out in the end. In fact, I would probably go as far as to say probably my least favorite Edgar Wright movie. I would agree. Yeah, and pretty much for everything Liam had said, uh... In my, I, I've said this thing a few times that I feel like it's probably not a huge part of the conversation that a lot of people are probably talking about when it comes to Last Night in Soho. And that's, I don't know if a man should have written this script. I know he wrote it with another person. I don't know the gender of that person. Uh, I believe that he wrote it with a woman. A woman? Okay. Um, so there's a lot of perspective there, but it's also very much an Edgar Wright film. So it really loses a lot of what the meaning behind the ending and stuff that leads up to that really could have paid off to be. But the biggest complaint that I have is it's one of those movies where it's like woman under pressure goes crazy. Right. And that's not a good image. (laughs) That's not a good image to have and a good representation of of, 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 of femininity on screen at uh, all. And also the the co-writer was uh, Christy Wilson Cairns. Uh, She also co-wrote 1917. Oh, okay. Also, I was going to... I read uh, one take about it, which I thought was really telling, which is uh, somebody said that, like, they feel like some Edgar Wright may have taken some of the criticisms with Baby Driver a little too personally. Yeah. And instead of saying, like... uh, 
like actually having something to say or really trying to give a message across. It was kind of more like a look, see, I'm I'm an ally. I'm an ally. Hmm. And it kind that's how it kind of started to feel to me towards the end. And uh that uh I was a bad uh, essay I read about it kind of like hit that home for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it's like I, all things considered, like well made movie altogether. Uh, a lot of the, the, like Liam said, the editing is is pretty cool. The musical choices are really neat. Uh, some there's this cool dance sequence. There's a couple cool dance sequences actually. Uh, the there's a lot of real cool trick stuff that they do with the camera where like Thomas and Mackenzie will be on the other side of a mirror and the way that they like match each other's movements is really impressive. Even if it is supposed to be a slightly delayed and I, I I didn't mind that it wasn't supposed to be perfect by any means because it's almost like a dream state kind of thing. Um, but yeah, this did not win me over on Anya Taylor joy. I'll tell you that. Uh, that's the other person. I don't hate Anya Taylor Joy. That's a very strong. I also don't really. Okay, I do hate Timothy Chalamet, but mostly just because you I hate a lot of people just because you don't like the way they look. <laughs> yeah, I'm. That's a I'm really. An, I'm an ignorant prick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anya Taylor Joy. I don't know what it is. Like, she's fine, but I think people give her too much fucking credit. I don't think she's that great of an actor at all. Like, well, you're also the poster boy for giving some actors way too much credit. Okay, whom? Uh, remember when you were in love with Jennifer Lawrence? Yeah, you I... were in love with Daisy Ridley. That was that was also before the show ever happened. So fuck <laughs> still, you. Still, it is it is <laughs> no. still something to recount. No, every single one of my opinions that happens in the past is no longer valid. I am a purely <laughs> new ba- born baby, and all of my opinions moving forward henceforth are correct. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> all right, mark the calendar, guys. We're going to reevaluate this in two years. <laughs> yeah, please come back. Yeah, it, re- it refreshes every two two years. Don't worry about That's it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's almost it's, like somebody puts a little cord in the back of Christian's neck, hits the buttons. It's like, reboot. It's like Woody. Yeah. It's just the cord, the cord is wind, winding up. <laughs> and, um, and whenever he reboots, he's like, there's a snake in my boot. <laughs> Whoa, what the hell? <laughs> Oh, yeah, and then he also uh, uh, was it starts to talk Spanish for a minute. I don't know. This is a weird uh, metaphor or analogy. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't hate Anya Taylor Joy. I just I think she's not nearly as outstanding of an actor as people give her credit for. She definitely has done things that are incredibly impressive, like uh, The Witch, for example. She's really good in that movie, especially considering that's her breakout performance. Then you kind of carry on. She's good in Thoroughbreds. Which is a, a movie she did with uh, Olivia Cook, I think her name is, and that well, movie's that movie's that movie's okay. Um, also, think about how once somebody hits, like if there's also the fact of like I have the same. I think your thing here may be similar to what I have with Tom Holland, where I'm just really sick of seeing them everywhere. That's what I have with I'm Timothy like, just Chalamet. Ask somebody <laughs> self, but just stop. Timothy Chalamet has barely done anything Not outside recently. of like indie dramas. The home homeboy is is cleaning yeah, up the dude. box office recently, and the French Dispatch, which both came out on the same fucking day. <laughs> yeah, that's also what happens when projects get delayed due to a pandemic. But you know, let's not take couldn't, couldn't that into account here. Couldn't delay it a week. Couldn't delay it one a week. I had to, had to make a Tim, Timothy Chalamet day. Yeah, yeah a exactly. Timothy Chalamet day. <laughs> yes, that was awful. <laughs> the man has been pretty hot <laughs> since 2017. Liam, call me by your name, Lady Bird, uh, beautiful boy. He's in. Uh, have you seen King, how many of those movies Little have you Women, seen? The French Dispatch? None, because I hate the guy. I want to punch him in the mouth. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you saw two movies. All right. Sorry, can I? My, my opinion is more valid than yours. Go on, Liam. 
<laughs> uh, but yeah, no, last night in Soho, um, eh, again, just kind of a, I think the last thing I'll say about it is that I feel like this is kind of important because uh, I uh, ended up t chatting with a friend about it when I got home, which is uh, Edgar Wright has always been one of my favorite filmmakers. And I think it's important, kind of important that he made a movie that a lot of people are kind of lukewarm on or that I didn't like very much. Because it shows that your artists aren't always, your favorite artists or creators aren't always going to hit it out of a ballpark. Yeah. And now what really matters is how, one of, one of, it could go one of two ways. Either not take the criticism to heart or just pull a Shyamalan and go downhill and downhill. Or learn from it. I think and just he, like I try think to do something really the, good again. I think he's a director who will learn from it, personally speaking. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like it was kind of important for that. And it kind of reminded me of a... Uh, the importance when viewing creators and art and and the art they put out. Yeah. What else, Liam? Um, also, just because I was in a bit of a, uh, a somewhat nostalgic mood, I guess you could say, I uh, decided to rewatch um, the special they did about a decade ago, which is uh, the 25th anniversary of the Ninja Turtles called Turtles mm -hmm. Forever. <laughs> it was an animated movie they did where, because um, there was a Ninja Turtles show on in the 2000s, uh, that like the same that like four kids was doing and for the 25th anniversary of the Ninja Turtles they did a big crossover movie where they crossed over with the ones from the 80s so like the original 80s cartoons and, and also it's the like, comic book ones right yeah and the Mirage comics and like they establish a whole multiverse of turtles it's kind of like into the spider-verse before into the spider-verse <laughs> though obviously not as good um because this one was mainly just made uh, was it? I still enjoyed a lot, but it is really just made as a celebration of the Ninja Turtles. Uh, while uh, Spider Verse was also very concerned with trying to tell a compelling story, mm -hmm. this one is very much just like let's get all the turtles together and celebrate uh, and just celebrate like the years and years of turtles that we've had in all the different car incarnations. And for that, it's really fun. Uh, it's for a TV budget. It's pretty well animated. Um, they sadly weren't able to get the voice any of the voice actors back uh, from the '80s show because of union disputes. And for every voice actor they got as a replacement, that's really good. There's one that's really bad. Mm -hmm. Like you have the voice of Yugi from Yu-Gi-Oh voicing like '80s Leonardo, and he's the worst. <laughs> he has voices like an octave lower than uh, the original guy. Um, and uh, there's some really uh. Uh, the biggest criticism I have with it is that uh, sometimes it does fall into the whole look at how dumb and goofy the um uh, was the original turtles are, well how cool the new ones are. Where I'm like, yeah, they weren't they were pretty goofy in the original, but they weren't this incompetent. Um, and like they weren't all completely interchangeable as characters. Right. But they do introduce some fun stuff from the original show, like uh, the breaking the fourth wall. Like there's this running joke where uh, Raphael keeps breaking like uh, what is it? He keeps. Raph there's this guy. Who, yeah, Raph was the one who broke the fourth wall in the original. That's so weird. I don't yeah, remember that very much. This is before they, because uh, it wasn't until the movie where they established Raphael as being the really angry one. Right. Okay, carry on. Um, but there's this, uh, one of the villains of a movie, a character called uh, Hun. Uh, Vera, uh, was, there's a running joke where he keeps, like, uh, encountering Raphael, and Raph will just look at the camera and break the fourth wall, and uh, Hun will also look over and be like, wait, what? And then just look and not notice anything. And then the third time it comes around, I was he says something like, "I oh, was it you freak did this to me," and yeah, Ralph just looks at the camera. He's like, "Some people just can't accept change." Hun looks over again, 
gets pit looks back gets pissed starts shaking him shouting who are you talking to there's no one there um but no uh, i hadn't seen it since actually i think since it aired on television really? um and it was kind of fun i thought i yeah, thought, you, at least, I thought you had seen it a couple times but i mean it had been a really long time at least like i don't know probably not long after it was on tv um but it was kind of fun to rewatch check out again um, it just kind of, um, and without any spoilers, it did end on probably the most appropriate note you could ever end a celebration for the Turtles on. Yeah. And then lastly, because, yeah, wow, I've not watched a lot lately. I watched a really shitty movie called, uh, Anaconda and the Hunt for the Blood Orchid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what a title. Because I have nothing better to do with my time, apparently. Except play Grand Theft Auto online. <laughs> 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 so uh this movie it came out around the same time when umber was a slight like a uh, high adventure like uh johnny quest kind of resurgence thing kind of like um the pirates of the caribbean swashbuckler thing or the mummy so this one movie follows a group of researchers that go to uh indonesia hold on let me look at the name the island of uh uh borneo oh. um uh, to look for a mystical flower that can apparently grant longer life. And uh, they go down the Amazon River, or they go down the river on this boat, and essentially uh, they get caught up in the middle of uh, anaconda mating season, as the anacondas are all getting bigger and bigger because of uh, they're exposed to the orchids. So <laughs> here's the thing with this movie. One, I told you it's set in Indonesia, right? Yes. There are no anacondas in Indonesia. Anacondas <laughs> are native to the Amazon. <laughs> um, oh, no. The also, you have the main guy who's like the ultimate badass dude. Like, he's former military. He's got big muscles, the spiky hair. And God, this guy, you could tell this is... This is a guy who they probably tried to cast as, like, the dollar store bin uh, Hugh, uh, Hugh Jackman. This guy, you can tell, really wants to be Hugh Jackman, but he is a terrible actor. You also have uh, this one girl, who, the main girl, who goes in and out of an accent from uh, New Zealand to uh, trying to do a southern accent. Hmm. Oh, and you have giant CGI snakes with one exception in one scene. Is it a real snake? <laughs> there's only No, there's one scene where they used a puppet where uh, a girl decapitates a big anaconda. Um... No, it was just so I feel really. Like you gotta have either a healthy mix or commit to one or the other. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, it was really, really stupid. I've, I guess I just had. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is really out of character for me. Usually, I try to avoid stupid movies like this. Mm, I think it's. I think it's totally normal. I watched Mystery Men today too. Didn't bring that up because I've. Yeah, but I'm not you. Before. Ouch. Lucas, it's your turn. Liam's being mean okay. today. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I find it fun that like you can kind of, if you go back through the catalog of our shows, you can pick out the times where I'm working more because I talk a lot more about books. Right. Uh, because I listen to audiobooks while I'm working. No surprise, I, I, I read another two books. Um, one of them was called The Storm Before the Storm by Mike Duncan. Uh, it is the story, uh, it's a nonfiction book about the... Um, the collapse of the Roman Republic before, but 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 before Julius Caesar. So they like they tell the story of how um, the Roman Republic's uh, government and systems and everything 
became fragile enough to the point that Caesar could essentially break them. Mm. And it's really interesting because uh, it, it's a really interesting perspective. Because uh, like they, the Roman Republic, especially with it has has very complicated political systems. One of what uh, you, you probably you might have heard that like uh, I, I think I told Liam this at some point, but uh, you might have heard that like um, in the Roman Republic, if they were if they were faced with a crisis, uh, they could elect a dictator who had like absolute power for like six months, and they would serve that term, and then they would step down. And uh, for 500 years, that position was not abused. They elected several dictators, but they always stepped down after six months. Hmm. And do you know why? I, I know Liam does, because I already told him. I don't know why. Uh, because the Romans hated the idea of monarchs. Like, at least in the, during the Ro Roman Republic, they, they absolutely hated the idea of monarchs. So much so that the Senate could make it, like, on a whim, just make it legal to just... For any citizen to kill someone who was uh, seeking regal power, like huh. okay, <laughs> and the Senate was a separate entity from the dictator, so they could be like, "All right, this guy's out of control. Someone go kill him." <laughs> <laughs> so it's just assassination. No, it wasn't even it wasn't even necessarily assassin. Any anybody it's, could do it. It just became legal oh, to it's, kill it's, this. Person. It's not assassination if it's legal, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And like not even it's not even covert or like sneaky or anything. They're like, hey, someone Stab. anybody, just go just go shank this dude. Just, okay, just walk up to a guy for like, hey, ah! Yeah. He's just like eating some grapes, drinking some wine, just ah. Yeah, yeah. But like uh there there's so many different like political conflicts and like different sides, like just like uh pushing each other further and further away from each other and just like kind of destroying uh, the political systems that led to Caesar uh, being able to uh, just destroy their uh, relative democracy and become an empire. And it was a really interesting story. One of the main uh, one of the main political conflicts that went on for decades uh, was whether or not Italians would be allowed to be Roman citizens. And I found hmm. that really interesting. Uh, but uh, it's it's a complicated book. I don't remember. Uh, many of the names of the people involved because names tend to just fly out of my head but it was really it was a really interesting perspective do you know our that. names no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see uh chris and luther never call no, me no. that ever again <laughs> no no this is uh you see i'm zeke uh what okay, is zeke, it? this is yeah. my, this is my brother yawn <laughs> yes <laughs> did somebody say amish sorry <laughs> Uh, and the other book I read uh, was called The Sanatorium by Sarah Pierce. I've heard of that. Uh, it's, yeah, it's it's actually really good. It's it's um, it's a pretty it's a pretty uh, basic book, I guess, for lack of a better term. It's like um, a horror thriller sort of thing. The main character is the detective. It takes place in it takes place in this old spooky hotel. There's a murderer on the loose sort of thing. Uh, basically, it takes place in this old uh, a sanatorium, a place where they took people with TB. Uh, basically to get them away from other people. And uh, uh, later on, it becomes this hotel. And uh, the uh, uh, Ellen and her fiancé, Ellen being the main character, who's the detective, uh, they go to the sanatorium, and there's some murders, and there's some bad weather situations, so the cops can't get there, and they're, they're way up in the mountains, so there's no reception. So it's pretty kind of, kind of basic horror. Uh, but it's re it was really well done. It was, uh, <laughs> and I was listening to it. Uh, in an empty mall at like 11 p.m. So there were points where I'm just like, 
I'm alone, right? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little creeped out right now. But that, it was it was genuinely a fun book. It sounds like they're gonna uh, the author Sarah Pierce is gonna uh, be doing more in that series. Yeah, so I just looked it up. It looks like that, that's number one of a series. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. Did so, you? Did, I liked it when you listened to it. Do you listen to it with headphones on or just like on a Bluetooth speaker or something? Uh, Bluetooth headphones actually. Oh, but still headphones. Yeah. Yeah, headphones. Okay. Yeah, I don't have it. I don't have it playing in the empty mall. <laughs> <I'm just trying laughs> just, that'd be amazing. It's just, I don't know. Give somebody an idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty good. Uh, I, I, I don't really read a lot of or read or watch many things like horror adjacent, but this was really good. I liked it. Uh, and last but not least, uh, I watched. Uh, I watched a movie, guys. Wow. Uh, I watched uh, Palm Springs. What'd you think? Uh, I, I really liked it. It's not I thought bad. it was pretty fun. Yeah. I, I, I did I went in with pretty low expectations to be fair. Mm-hmm. Uh because I was just bored one night and I'm like, I need something to watch. So I watched and I heard I'd, I had heard good things. And it was it's very funny. It's I, I really like J.K. Simmons in that mm-hmm. movie. I just like J.K. Simmons in general. But he's he's especially uh quite funny in that movie. I'm used to, I'm used to being scared of him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you it, wait, you found him scary as J. Jonah Jameson and not hilarious? <laughs> no, as J. Jonah Jameson, he was hilarious. But as like Omni Man and Invincible, and obviously Fletcher from uh, Whiplash, Fletcher is, is is easily a scariest character. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> also, what about him as the crazy guy on Oz? I don't think I ever watched Oz. Yeah, no, you did. Mm. No, he's, he's like a neo-Nazi <laughs> and stuff. Ah, I see. Sorry, I, I can I, see him. I can see him pulling that off. I cut you off. You were also going to mention the other people in the movie, and I totally cut you off. Oh yeah, Andy Samberg uh, was good, and I can't remember the actress's name. Kristen Milioti. Right. I, I knew it was very Italian, Italian sounding. Yeah. But she was she was also very good. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have that much to say about it. It was fun. I I really liked it. It was it was a fun little time loop. They. <laughs> Minor spoilers, I guess. But I like how she's just like, I'm just going to learn quantum physics now. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if we're in this forever. Yeah. Yeah, no, I liked it too when I saw it. it I, again, it's yeah. it's not, it's nothing really to write home about, but it's pretty good. So Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. I really liked it. Uh, is that everything? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Wow. Short ingestion this week, probably because we don't have four people on the show. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that was the ingestion for this week. Uh, if you like what you heard, be sure to go to Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash thunderlizard. Boom. I'm just going to start plugging it in uh, every once in a while. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, like I said, this has been the ingestion for this week. When we come back, we're going to be talking about modern classics. Uh, so stick around for that. And we'll see you soon. Okay, okay. Just theor- theoretically, what happens when you open the box? Theoretically, there's a human I head. Oh, it's it. about this. It's about this big. What's in Just the th- box? <laughs> What's in the box? Pain. Uh. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Thundercast. Uh, today we are going to be talking about modern classics, or at least movies we feel like in time over the past ten years have been or will eventually become classics in their own right at least culturally significant not classics in our own minds because i'm sure we could think of a a number of those that we feel are going to be near and dear to our hearts no these are more what we um estimate will become culturally significant in the long run um yeah so that's the that's the episode (laughs) right there first thing to i think the first thing to begin with to begin with is talk about like well, one, what is it that makes something control, uh, culturally significant? And as well as, um, what really is the criteria for calling something a classic? 
It's a good question. Just yeah. Uh, for for me personally, uh, a classic is is a movie that stands the test of time. It's it's something that is significant or popular, even decades after it uh, was released. Uh, something that like. Probably most people, if you ask them about it, either have seen it or have heard of it, mm -hmm. sort of thing. Or at least, the fact yeah, that it was it's decades old. Or know the entire plot of the movie and have never seen. Yeah, it, right. Yeah, or or like have some like culturally culturally significant moment in it that everybody knows. Like everybody knows, uh, despite the fact that they misquote it. Uh, I am your father. Scene from Empire Strikes Back. That mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Um. Obi or even like uh, if we're thinking of like the Library of Congress and, like, old cinema or whatnot. How, like, uh, part of why 12 Angry Men is considered one of the greatest movies that ever that's ever been made is not only because of, like, how it managed to work with a confined setting, but especially in that time, but also how, like, what it talks about with the jury system there or whatnot and, like, the death penalty is still relevant and still being talked about to this day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, classic for me, like Lucas was saying, something that uh, has maintained its, like, kind of or become a part of, like, cultural osmosis. Like, everyone is aware of things, knows things. Like, Psycho and the shower scene, for example. Halloween and just the being that is Michael Myers and the longevity of the characters. Uh, some films that maybe wouldn't necessarily be a part of that sort of thing, but are still culturally significant. Like, Taxi, or, sorry, Taxi Driver, for example. Um, essentially, any of Scorsese's Scorsese's early work, um, uh, things of that, you know, things that are notable by significant people or have influenced larger portions of filmmaking, of art, just in general, uh, things like that. Liam, how about you? What do you? What's your definition? Uh, I'm pretty much in the same. I very much lean towards the uh, cultural significance or whatnot and the impact that was left, as well as being a quality film and in in it of its own right. It's kind of like a balancing thing. Like, um, uh, yeah, like, uh, something like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, this one is even from, like, The Dark Knight these days is considered a modern classic, mainly because, uh, it, um, well, one, it proved to a lot of general audiences that, uh, comic book movies can and probably should be more than just, uh, mindless, uh, powerful people punching each other or just, like, stylized effects, as well as the impact it left on how, like, uh, we probably wouldn't have had the big boom that we did if it weren't for it. Mm -hmm. But there is also the negative attributes on how, uh, for better or for worse, it did establish or popularize a lot of really bad trends and motifs. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, so I mean, that's one, so that's like a cultural thing or whatnot, but it's also still considered a solid movie in, a, in it of its own right. What negative motifs do you mean? Uh, the villain wants to be caught, oh, um, but right. has a master plan behind everything. The whole uh, dark and gritty equals good. Um, like, the one-size-fits-all things that we still see filmmakers struggling with when they try to make blockbusters. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, or even, like, uh, another example I can think of from, like, the previous, uh, from, like, the 2000s is something like, uh, uh, Brokeback Mountain is now, um, on the, uh, is now preserved in the, uh, National Film Registry because of its cultural significance to, uh, uh, portraying a, uh, well, a not-straight romance genuinely in a film. Mm-hmm. And not, not playing it for a joke or anything yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like, because two years before that, we had fucking Party Cruise. What's with, that? Uh, I don't even know what that is. Uh, I think it's called Party Cruise. It's where uh, it's a bunch of homophobic jokes where Cuba Gooding Jr. and his friend actually uh, was it wind up on a gay cruise. And it's all oh. just a bunch of jokes about it's true straight, two straight guys on a boat. 
I am yes, you're igniting some memories for me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean like uh, and also again just cultural stuff like quotability or whatnot and people like even if they haven't seen it being able to uh reference or know what it is. Like an, like even when I saw Dune or whatnot, like despite having not read the books for things I was aware of just from general cultural osmosis. Mm -hmm. Like the sandworm. Yeah, yeah. or the baron. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, all right, so I guess we have we we all have kind of a list of examples we can go through. That wants to start us off. I'll I, th let you. I think I believe there's a lot of overlap as well uh, as we discussed before the show. Uh, but sure, the first thing on my list is uh, into the Spider Verse. Yes. Um, which I think is gonna personally, I think it's gonna go down as one of the best superhero movies of all time, and also one of the best animated movies of all time. I would agree. Yep. I mean, uh. I'm always hesitant when it comes to things within that recent wheelhouse, though I do have a few on here, and Spider-Verse was on my list. Mm -hmm. Partially because it's so soon after that, like... Yeah, it's, it's, hard, it's, it's, it's hard to say, like, what effect it's going to have on culture, but, like, uh, it hasn't really... The, the hype for it hasn't really died down since it came out, and it's been, like, what, two oh, years? Oh, I know so, uh, some people who still treat it like the only good thing that's ever been, movie that's ever been made, ever will be made... <laughs> and we should just stop making movies because they will never be as good as End of the Spider-Verse. Which is absurd. No more movies. It's over. <laughs> no, that's absurd. They ended with Midsummer. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, no, they, no they, they stopped after Star Wars in 1977. Oh, right. There's not yeah. even any sequels to Star Wars. Everything else is just gravy, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I agree with you with Spider-Verse, mostly because I think it was a technical achievement for mm -hmm. its animation style, for one, because it was it's very much in its own style of animation in terms yeah, of Yeah, and the... like like multiple styles within the same like frames. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of wild. Without it looking hokey or mm -hmm. and it also uh continue movies like that and like obviously there's one or two other examples just given in the oversaturated comic book indus uh movie industry or whatnot. Is that a despite how oversaturated bland thank you Disney it's become there will always it prove ever will always be things like that or logan which come out but show that there is still blood in here and uh actual things to say in an oversaturated medium mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i and feel also, like it's culturally significant for that sake mm -hmm. i would say one of the most culturally significant things it did was um it didn't redefine but it gave like a new visual for the phrase leap of faith you know what i yeah. mean yeah yeah like I, I feel like it, it it didn't change the meaning of the phrase at all, but I feel like for a lot of people now, when they think leap of faith, they see Miles rising but falling uh, from a building. Yeah, I would agree for sure. That's that's an interesting uh, parallel that I I didn't really ever put together, but yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of moments that people can latch onto, and a lot of relatability that maintains its. Uh, notab notability in terms of people's minds and stuff, right? Why it's mm -hmm. maintained such a popularity over the past two, two and a half, three years, right? Um, Even the stuff uh, in there that I do think could potentially become dated, I don't think will be dated in a bad way, but if anything, kind of like a, will just become like a, a time capsule type of a thing. I agree. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. the soundtrack is very made up of music that's really popular right now, or was especially very popular when it came out. Mm-hmm. But one, it fit within the context of a character of a film, so it's not really a problem. In any other thing, it would be seen as, like, really obnoxious and very pandery. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's why I think it will age fine in that sense. Yeah, I agree, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, Lucas, what else do you have? 
another one I had uh, is Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. Despite listeners know that I don't really like that movie. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, I've I've heard many, many people who are very influential in the space, uh, just in, in storytelling in general, talk about how Fury Road is one of their favorite movies of all time. Right. And it became, it became, it like cemented its place uh, there, like the moment it came out and people started to see it. And the, the, there's so much excitement around it and there's so many conversations about its filmmaking, its storytelling, its uh, etc. cetera, uh, and- that I don't think it's going anywhere. And for a time when it came out, like where um again this problem we're still facing, where a lot of action movies were kind of still being made and looking the same, Mad Max Fury Road showed that you could put a different lens on it by having like not it not be very dialogue driven, being mostly driven by its visuals. Yeah, it's not or like the actions happening on screen. Yeah, it's not quippy. There's not a lot. There's no one liners. Uh, there's There's, go ahead. There's a lot of subtext in there. Like you could apply uh, so many different readings and theory there. Mm-hmm. Like you could re you could apply like uh, uh was it anti capitalist theory in there with a Morton Joe and his monopoly on the water supply? Yeah, you could mm-hmm. apply um feminist theory to um like uh uh the brides and Furiosa and, and it, how they kind of yeah. take it, it's it's me? it's a rare movie where it definitely feels like they're trying to fix a franchise without putting a bandage over everything else that has already existed before it. If you know what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say, like mm-hmm. because. It feels like it's the true sequel to Mad Max, uh, or specifically Road Warrior, because everybody knows I don't like Thunder Ro- or Th- Thunderdome um, because it's an awful movie. But uh, this feels like it's it's the natural progression of things, or what probably would have happened in the grand scheme of the of the franchise. And I think it fits itself in very nicely in terms of being more in related that now i'm just kind of talking about mad max but how in mad max max becomes a legend right and Mm -hmm. i think that form of taking a character like a legacy character for example and applying that sort of theory to them and letting them kind of open up the gates for other characters and more opportunities for for new people to expand the world is a really cool element that it that is starting to kind of pop up in a lot of places um very much what also, Logan uh, does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I could also argue with Mad Max, or Fury Road, a big reason why I feel like it really has left the impact that it's had, is that um, it shows that despite how old of a filmmaker you become, or like uh, thinking things that are good, but less than, uh, but ble- seen as less than stellar by a lot of people, you can still come back and make something that's really going to resonate or hit with people. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. George Miller, I'm pretty sure is in like his 80s or something. Yeah, I believe so. And like he's, and did you ever think that a guy in his 80s would make something like Mad Max Fury Road? <laughs> right. Not really. And I, I think I think I just had a bit of a personal revelation as to one of the reasons I don't like this movie very much. You know, we're talking about how there's, uh, like, not a lot of dialogue or explanations. Personally, I love it when people explain things to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, when I watch Inception, I'm like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is great. And like, all he does is explain things. I'm like, yeah. That's so why he's And he has a cool fight in a hallway. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> so I think that might be one of the reasons why the movie didn't do great in my brain. I was like, "Can you please explain this to me?" I like, I get it, but I also want you to explain it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, all right. Um, another thing that's on my list is uh, it kind of flies under the radar nowadays, but it seems to like just maintain a solid level of popularity, and that's the the Caesar trilogy, the new trilogy mm-hmm. for Planet of the Apes. 
It's it's not it, it's never really taken like center stage in terms of like uh, the movie scene or whatever, but it's it's always made like ever since even the first one came out, it's uh, it's maintained a solid popularity, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that are becoming part of like the cultural lexicon, like pe- like people say people just say apes together strong now. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have uh, interacted with anyone like that but like I, i've had conversations with people who are i have uh, seen significantly younger than me who say apes together strong despite i have not seen really it on left i've seen it movies. on leftist forums yeah <laughs> 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 like i was talking to some uh, i was playing D with some people and there's people who are uh i think like 22 ish uh so like technically a generation uh below uh me but like like uh, we were talking about something in in our D game and they're like, no, no, we got to work together. Apes together strong. And I'd never <laughs> heard this person reference a Planet of the Apes movie before. And I was like, huh, I'm so happy. <laughs> and they were like, wait, what the hell are you talking about, Lucas? It's just a thing, it's just a thing that I know. Like, yeah, you fucking nerd. And I think those movies were also another reminder that people seem to really take, re- take to really well, which is that, again, something that you think is probably really going to suck, turning out to actually being pre- be pretty damn good. Well, because the concept I- of Planet of the Apes monkeys take over the planet is a very <laughs> stupid concept well people thought it should it have, it's planet of the apes is a franchise that had its prime during the cold war and just should have died there mm-hmm. but then eventually somebody came along and had something new to say with that concept mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly and and one of the fascinating things i was uh last i, I recently rewatched that trilogy uh and i was watching um some of the commentary behind the scenes stuff and a fascinating thing about Rise of the Planet of the Apes is that was not a studio-mandated thing. Usually when re- reboots come along, the studio is like, we own this property, uh, we want to we want to do something with it so we keep the IP or whatever. But like, um, whoever the, I can't remember their names, but the writers and the director of that of the first one, they were, they were brainstorming ideas for movies, and they're like, you know what? This sounds a lot like Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I think this is Planet of the Apes, and that's how they pitched it. Like, huh. they... It was. It wasn't like the studio saying we own Planet of the Apes, so we need to make a Planet of the Apes movie. Like, it was did actually we just creator, accidentally write an Apes movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I think we just accidentally wrote a Planet of the Apes movie. Yeah, which is, which is a fascinating way. That's not usually how like franchise stuff uh, happens. No, so never. I, I just find that really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they just had an idea and they realized that they could apply it to uh, something that hadn't been touched in a while. And not mm-hmm. for the sake of just getting a quick moneymaker made, but because they actually had something to genuinely say. Yeah. And it just naturally happened to fit with a pre-existing IP. And say yeah. something three times and have each one represent something, I wouldn't say completely differently, but expand on the ideas presented in the first one. And then take those ideas and make them more complicated and more complicated as the series goes on. and mm-hmm. make, But also still make them relatable. Um, to a lot of people and understandable, I should say, is it's not necessarily relatable, but understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny how people, when they see things with animals, just can empathize and understand them, the concepts that are being presented much better than if they're with people. No, yeah, exactly. Like my, my, my older sister uh, has never really watched those movies because she tried to watch the first one. And the moment Caesar realizes that he's not a person or like that he's not a human, that he's more of a, he's being treated more, more, like, more like a pet in the Redwoods. She, she was like, that scene broke me. Like, I couldn't I couldn't keep watching after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so sad. I'm like, that's not the saddest part of the movie, but okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. All right, uh, let's move on, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Another one on my list is uh, Inside Out, uh, the yes. Pixar uh, well, film. And I, one of the reasons I think that is going to stand the test of time 
is because uh, the idea of mental health and like mental illnesses are uh, really, really taking hold uh, in, in like our culture and our society. We're uh, finally starting to get talked about and given the attention that they, pro that they should be getting. And yeah, exactly. And, and Inside Out, I feel like, is a really, really good representation, a really good uh, way to explain mental illness and like just uh, states of being in the mind to kids. Um, yeah, and mental well, especially illness, emotional well-being. Yeah. Especially considering it's about children, which is something that I feel like a lot of people aren't willing to have the conversation about, is that why would a kid be sad? Why would a kid have depression? Why would a kid not, why would a kid, you know, have outbursts or anger, right? Unless you're a yeah, child, and, and, you should be full and, of whimsy and, and wonder, right? Yeah, and, and the idea near the end where, like, her control board board is going dark, how, how like, that was the representation of depression, mm -hmm. I thought was really, really smart because... Most people, when they hear the word depression, it's like, oh, they're just really sad. It's like, no, most of the time they just don't feel anything. Right. Yeah, it's a um, lot more complicated than that. Yeah, that, exactly. Uh, as somebody who growing up was around the, uh, ther who did his stretches in the therapy circle or whatnot, like, I really wish movies like Inside Out existed when I was a kid. I think it's a movie that's a really good for, like, this, like, people in general. I think also what helped Inside Out a lot is that, um... There was starting to be some talk of like, is Pixar just running? I wasn't running out of steam, like because mm. they had three films that weren't great before that, or weren't people weren't really taking to. Like after Toy Story three, it was like, did they hit their peak? Is there anywhere else to go? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you had um, Cars two, Brave, yeah. which nobody talks about anymore, <laughs> and Monsters University, and then Inside Out comes along, and it just took mm -hmm. everything by storm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's a very beautiful movie too, and it shows it that. It's... Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say it's um, <laughs> it, it makes motions more complicated than mm -hmm. you would normally present to a kid. Uh, like for for an adult, the idea that like sadness can be good and like can bring people together and stuff, uh, isn't like super hard to comprehend. Uh, some for some people it seems to be, but um, <laughs> to to introduce that idea early uh, and like in such a uh, easy to digest way, I think is is really really important and really good for people in general. Yeah, I think yeah. Inside Out is going to be a very powerful tool for parents or of young children moving forward, uh, because you can show them show that to a child and and have those very abstract concept concepts be introduced to them like you said very early but then also utilize it um as a way to be like oh are we feeling like red today are we feeling this today like how are we mm -hmm. feeling who's here? got control of the keyboard right the, yeah yeah and you could you could buy the little dolls and stuff and yeah. here we go welcome to a parenting <laughs> podcast everybody three people who don't have fucking kids <laughs> three white men who don't have children um yeah no i, I like i said I, I feel like it's it's a powerful tool in that but also um, relatable on multiple levels, right? Mm -hmm. Relatable for children, for adults, for senior citizens, for mentally uh, mountain state on for people that are suffering with mental health issues, for people that aren't suffering for mental health issues, which I gain some empathy towards people that mm -hmm. are, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think a lot of that is will maintain itself over the years because the thing too with a lot of these is Pixar movies have a very interesting way of existing. Because they can live in perpetuity for years and oh, still yeah. maintain popularity. Because just the Pixar label kind of like gives an advantage on like becoming a classic. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty um, much. Yeah. Anyway, cool. I was good. 
I do. I have one on my list, but I just want to throw out there really quick. Go for mm-hmm. it. Um, just because uh, this is one. It's on a very different vein than Inside Out, but it's something that I feel like has already kind of become a modern classic in some ways. And that's Cabin in the Woods. It's on mine too. Mm. Look at that. Yeah, nice. I, I I I didn't put that on my list, but I agree. But notice how uh, Cabin in the Woods. Whenever you meet somebody who's a fan of it, they go out of their way and they won't dare spoil a thing about it whatsoever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, gotta go in unspoiled. Yeah, and like um, and how um, it kind of uh, it kind of showed that uh, you can do horror parody and homage. Like, after a long time absent from it without it being the stupidest fucking thing on the planet. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, this is when we were still getting stupid things like Scary Movie or um, Stan Helsing or The Starving Games. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, agreed. Um, and, yeah, it's uh, it's such a it's such a perfect blend of horror and comedy. Mm-hmm. Which, like, on, a, on, a, on the face value, it doesn't seem like those two go together. But, like, think about it for, like little bit and you'll realize they're both very primal emotions yeah it's and like also merged pretty hard, well it's also one of the hardest combos to pull off it is you got to really really balance the tone yeah i agree yeah, no like uh cabin of the woods is kind of like in the let's see nine years since it was released it's kind of become like the poster boy for how to properly blend horror and comedy mm-hmm. like before that what i would come to mind for people is probably like evil dead 2 or something yeah for sure yeah to, to well, some extent Shaun of the dead yeah. yeah, but I mean, like, things like Shaun of the Dead were a comedy first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, with, with horror elements, this is a this is very much a balance of the two. Um, yeah, like you said, Liam, it's, it's, it's cool to see how the fandom has maintained its secrecy throughout the years. Uh, like, I'm sure people who are watching this or listening to this probably know a lot about it. But even then, I'm not going to be one of those guys who starts to spoil it on this episode. So I mean, and all fairness maybe part of it did come from the fact uh was it it did kind of have an advantage to it on like uh getting out there and at least gaining a cult following because it did have like two of the people who worked extensively on buffy writing it right Mm -hmm. and that already had a very uh dedicated fan base so that definitely helped its advantage but to see it branch out of that like i've shown cabin in the woods to people to friends of mine who have never once in their life seen an episode of buffy and they immediately got into it just on the precedent of them being a horror fan Oh, yeah. It's an interesting film, too, um, how we're putting it on our list, because when it first came out, it wasn't a smash success, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it took a couple years for that movie to find its footing, you know, specifically because of um, home video releases and whatnot and being able to see it on streaming. And so having that advent, I think, too, helps a lot of these movies that we're talking about because people can not necessarily go see them when they come out, and it won't become an instant classic, but it will, over time, grow its popularity and grow its its um, viewership and become what they are today, right? Like I think, like you said, Liam, like Cabin in the Woods is kind of already in that upper echelon of like being a classic, right? Like there, there's not much you could really um, help it with. <laughs> you can't really push it any further than where it already is at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cool. Uh, one that I'd like to throw out there, uh, just so that we're all throwing things into the fire, is uh, Knives part. Out. Um, I think. I agree. Knives Out is one of the. Go ahead, Lee. Oh, yeah, I think it's a little dicey to say that one as well, like with Spider Verse, because it is so soon and close to. Uh, but <laughs> R- like, a... remember, we're a, that yeah. we're yes. Yeah, I'm saying like <laughs> uh, I'm just saying I know Christian. What I'm saying is that uh, I Ooh. have trouble putting. I have trouble uh, going out going out of my way to say that, 
uh, was it when it is so close? Just because, like, I've always been the kind of guy who very much likes to take a wait-and-see approach and not make bold statements like that. <laughs> Why did you yeah, agree I mean, to do this, this is... episode? <laughs> but, uh, with Kni Knives Out, I think, you like, um... a drop out of the episode? <laughs> Stop. No. Well, Knives Out, like, uh, it's got such big names in it and, like, such, like, beloved actors. I think that's giving it, uh, an advantage as well mm -hmm. to, like, stay in the cultural, uh, identity. Um... It's, a, a lot of it has also become, like, very meme-worthy, which, yeah. again, is giving it a little bump. <laughs> yeah, I was literally going to say the same thing, is that I think memes definitely help uh, things become so incredibly popular nowadays. That's not really something that we really had back in the day. Uh, mm -hmm. it, like, you, you, there were definitely quotes and lines that would become meme, memes in themselves, not, not in the the sense that we know them today but in the traditional sense like how like, richard dawkins originally defined it yeah where like you see something like uh are you talking to me i don't see anybody else around here so you must be talking to me right like mm -hmm. we all know that's taxi driver right boom like you know that's robert de niro you know that's travis buck uh bickle buckle bickle um, bickle yeah but you know it's him or um you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding right <laughs> i've never seen the godfather but yeah, you have you have these quotes and these things, which I think do help and push along uh, uh, movies. But thing... it's you know like um, who stopped the the Nazi boy masturbating in the bathroom, right? <laughs> um, what would be overheard I... words by the Nazi child masturbating in the bathroom? <laughs> right. I think also uh, one thing that is going to uh, really help Knives Out, at least for better or for worse, in its aging, is the fact that it came out right in the middle of like, and also kind of right before one of the. The stretch of time where for a while it's the time we live in now where when Knives Out came out has been seen as one of the most um people have called it an age of extremes and like really crazy like everything is a talking point mm -hmm. well Knives Out managed to be a really fun and uh, was it a really fun movie but also tackle some of those not direct not always directly but have them be but have them going on there like you could uh like um, Knives Out was in the background tackles things like the ideas of immigration, yeah, um, the uh, class structure, the rise of the, how the nobody rise knows, how nobody knows where Marta's Marta's family is from, right? Or we each of them say a different the, country name. The rise of the alt right in uh in America's youth. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, no, and just like class solidarity amongst the rich, that sort of yeah. thing. Oh yeah, and uh, there's also the fact that like uh. I've sadly been in a... Nobody got murdered, of course, but I've been in a weird <laughs> Knives Out scenario or whatnot with a... Uh, like, there's been a... I've been a part of a similar scenario where people act have acted the way the thrombies have, and I feel like a lot of people have. <laughs> yep. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I think... I think it's, it's relatable. Yeah, exactly. I think that's Very Thanksgiving be, movie. It is very much. Very <laughs> much so. And it came out around that time, didn't it? Like two I years. I believe ago? so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also those sweaters. Exactly. Like <laughs> everyone wants one of those goddamn Chris Evans sweaters. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the performances, the writing, um, definitely carry it into uh, classic potential. That's that's the thing, Liam. I think that you're really you're misunderstanding when when I brought this this topic to the table was that it has the potential. They're not necessarily we're not necessarily dictating that these things are going to be classics. We're no, I've decided. A, yeah. no, oh, fair no, enough. I got no. that. It's just that I have trouble like imagining that when it something like that when it's so close to like when it came out. Well, because another one that I have on my list that I feel like you're going to say the same thing about is Jojo Rabbit, right? 
Mm. I, I think I think JoJo is going to be a very good uh, representation of a lot of those young performers' performances. Also, a pinnacle of Taika Waititi's career. Uh, not pinnacle, but a, definitely a milestone in his career. Uh, mm-hmm. But also because of the issues that it tackles and how a lot of those things, yeah, we aren't dealing with the Holocaust anymore, at least in the traditional sense of what the Holocaust was. Um, but attitudes and like especially uh, attitudes around that time and how they scarily have started to have a resurgence. Exactly. <clears throat> and, and, and I feel like Taika uh, introducing that, that concept to people that these things are still real and we need to have these conversations is, is a really good reminder for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it, it has the potential to roll into that classics um, uh, vault. Right. Yeah. And also, and also showed uh, that people like Todd Phillips are wrong. You can a hundred percent be funny while tackling controversial topics. Yes, like- exactly. <laughs> Yeah. What, what, Phillips, what did he say that about? He said that about Joker, right? <laughs> yeah, fuck you, he said, oh, I, yeah, I've started to, I stopped making comedies because uh, everybody, comedians don't want to do it anymore because everybody's so sensitive and like you can't go to war with a thousand people on Twitter. Fuck you, Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, all the, all these like comedians like, oh, you can't be funny anymore. Everyone's too sensitive. And Taika Waititi's like, I'm making a comedy about Hitler. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, it's just still something where I'm amazed it got greenlit. Yeah. I, apparently the only reason they allowed it to happen was that they're like, uh, apparent, this is a story from Taika Waititi, where he wasn't going to be in the movie. He didn't want to be in the movie. And then uh, the, the producers were like, we're going to greenlit on greenlit this on one condition. And he's like, what's that? You play Hitler. <laughs> he's like, Isn't he Jewish? <laughs> He's yeah, he's Jewish and Polynesian. Yeah, like, yeah, I was, yeah and I like was gonna... in, in his words, he was very excited about the idea of a Polynesian Jew playing Hitler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one I have on my list that um, I was that I also think at least um, again another one where it's like it's pretty recent, but in like some of the impact that it has left, especially among the horror community, Hereditary comes to mind for me. Sure. Oh, okay. Not where I thought you were gonna go with that, but yeah, no, I agree. I yeah, agree. like um, it sh- it kind of helped. Uh, well, one we're kind of entering it. We've entered a new golden age of horror, almost like a big return where um, because again, horror movies post Saw were kind of in a slump. Like you get your gems here and there, but it's mostly torture well, porn and yeah, pretty pretty transparent. To, yeah, things trying to recreate the ring or whatnot. When horror was at always at its best, when it was about more than what was on the surface. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason uh, movies like uh. They live are still uh, uh what is it are like preserved and still uh talked about or referenced. I'm shining, or, right? Yeah, yeah. No, something like uh, hereditary. Um, it's clear Ari Aster really understood that when he made this one. Mm-hmm. Like he takes a very straight at home, relatable idea. Uh, what is it? And uh, really expands on the. Uh, was it really expands on it in a uh, way where. It kind of help. It's kind of helped bring back, but you don't need to have like your horror just come from jump scares. Yeah. Or like, uh, like you could have it be a little slower. You could have it being from just really weird and disturbing imagery, like just things that shouldn't be. Which is something that I feel like it kind of been missing. Like, there's a reason um Hereditary wound up on a lot of critics' top ten lists that year. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, what a what an introductory film. What what a uh, what do you call it? Not introductory film. Uh, breakout. No. Um, uh, I call it a freshman effort. No, it's there's a phrase for it. 
Uh, fuck, man, I am stupid. I have no idea. It's debut. Yeah. It's debut. De- Jesus debut. Christ. There you go. Yeah, like especially for like a debut um, or outing as a director, Hereditary definitely displays a lot of his skill set, but also his knowledge of what goes into making something horrific. Like I've seen, you've probably seen all that. You you've all seen that tweet where it's somebody asked him like, "Hey man, are you okay?" And he just responded, "Nope." no i am not um but yeah like i mean i'm not uh, you know i'm gonna mention midsummer uh midsummer but i'm not gonna go too deep into it just because we have an entire episode where i gush about it um so i'm not gonna i do i i I kind of even though i i wasn't crazy about the movie i do think uh midsummer definitely has a place like up there in films that are going to be remembered for a long time i agree and I, I, I do, I think more people are going to lean towards Hereditary because it's a little bit more approachable than Midsommar's. Um I think I said when I watched Hereditary that I feel like uh, Hereditary is an easier movie to get, pe- is an easier movie to get people to watch or to sell to them. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like it's what, well, I'm mainly just due to the fact that like you look at a poster and it seems like an easier sell. It also doesn't have like the really daunting runtime that could throw some people off. Yeah, it is long, but it's not nearly as long as as Midsommar. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, Liam. In, in terms of its like uh, opening the door to people to those con- to those Ariasterisms, right? Where it's just like this is going to be a slow burn. I hope you're okay with that. And also, you're going to see some really messed up shit. Just just be cool with it. Um, but yeah, I, I think hereditary definitely will stand the test of time, probably a little better than Midsommar will, um, because I think, I think mostly because it's more accessible. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, and, and has bigger names, um, or has a big name associated with it, um, with Tony Collette there. Uh, so, and it's easier to sell because you like to say, oh yeah, like hereditary is about basically pretty much about witches. Here you go. <laughs> scary movie about witches. And and family bloodlines and things like that. What's Midsummer? What's Midsummer about? Oh man, I don't know how to. Where, where do I get started? Uh, oops, I guess <laughs> a bunch of uh, young people go to Sweden to a festival and a community that's very inspired by the Wicker Man. And uh, yeah, see how long it took you to see indoors. how long it took you to explain yeah. that. Yeah, witches. Okay, yeah, I'll watch the witch movie. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think uh, throwing another one out there, uh, and I, it's not one that. I don't know if you've seen it, Lucas, but Take Shelter uh, is definitely a movie that... Because I don't know if we talked about it on the show. We, we? talked about it on the sitcom episode because I showed it to you. Did we talk about it on the sitcom episode? Yeah, I brought up how I rewatched it. Um, we, we, You and I rewatched one, yeah. it. Well, that's one where I'm sad that it hasn't really gotten the uh, following or acclaim that it did because it was a very underground film. I think it will become one of those movies that is very cult in its delivery to people. Um, Lucas, if you haven't seen it, you will fucking love it. <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm, I just I just looked it up, and is that Michael Shannon? It is sure it? is. Mike, nice. Michael Shannon, Jessica Chastain, uh. and Shannon is so good. He's not scary at all in, until like a, a portion of the movie. But mm-hmm. you know, in most movies, he's usually yelling or very yeah, intimidating. Yeah. Not in this one. <laughs> In this one, he's just so, a—he's just a family man. He's just a dude. Just, oh yeah, he's like a blue collar dad. Uh, yeah. Get, yeah, get, I, like, um, yeah, I know. I know you can do that because I remember uh, um, when I watched uh, Waco. Uh, I talked to Liam about it. I'm like, yeah, Michael Shannon doesn't yell. <laughs> he, he's like the cool, common, collective one. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. what? Um, you know, 
which I did watch and I did like. Um, but mm-hmm. I was going to say, I have one on my list that's in the same vein as Midsummer. Though it's interesting because it bombed at the box office, but it is slowly starting to gain a stronger following, kind of like the movie it's a sequel to. That's Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, I think Blade Runner 2049 will have a bigger standing in people's minds than the original will in the long run i mean it does the biggest thing it has over the original though the original original is a map is a masterpiece in of a in it of its own right it does have the one really troubling aspect about it which even people who love that movie admit is a problem mm-hmm. um i am among most people just to be clear the sexual um, but, assault stuff i mean yes yeah uh well blade Paint, runner 20- as a romance yeah yeah blade runner 2049 has the thing where um was it it shows that like uh you can blend um a, a was it a really like art housey production type of thing with a huge like ridiculous budget mm-hmm. um, yeah thank and, you like, Denis made... Villeneuve for introducing Villeneuve is that how you pronounce it Villeneuve. Uh, Denis Villeneuve Denis Villeneuve thank you Denis for introducing this concept to filmmakers or at least yeah, in like... this grand scale yeah like to be like uh, very... I'm already talking to some people who. Uh, was it like apparently it's already starting to get shown in some film schools or whatnot on like uh taking really celib- cerebral ideas and like uh well also well one breaking expectations and not just following a formula you think it's going to go but also just uh putting as much detail into your production as you are into your narrative or story like um i think that like i personally see this something that's probably going to inspire a lot of filmmakers moving forward no yeah sure in fact i think a lot of denis villeneuve films are probably going to go down that route yeah Mm -hmm. like i'm hesitant to call a lot of like newer filmmakers like the new greats or whatnot or anything but i feel like denis villeneuve is one of those people who's really showing himself to uh, be going down that route he's really moving in that direction yeah He's like, already made a lot of really good movies. Yeah. <laughs> like I and I've heard that uh, his uh Quebec films are really good. I haven't seen mm-hmm. any of them yet, but I've heard really good things about Maelstrom or Incindi Incinities. Um mm-hmm. you know, the only movie he made that I didn't like was um Enemy, and that's not just because it was bad. I just it just wasn't my thing at all. Yeah. I've heard it's very weird. Yeah, I think that's the only aside from his French movies, I think Enemy's the only one I haven't seen. Oh, I haven't seen Blade Runner twenty forty nine either. Right. I haven't seen Enemy either, but I've heard it's very odd. And I've read the synopsis for it a few times, so mm-hmm. I kind of already know what happens. Lucas, yeah. what else do you have on your list? Uh, going in a different direction. Uh, uh, in terms, uh, I, I kind of wanted to throw a Dis- like a, a Disney Disney movie uh, on here. And I think the one that will probably have the longest uh, effect is probably Moana. Yeah. Um, which is, in, in my opinion, it's a pretty good movie. I like it. Yeah. But, like, I have noticed it's very, very popular with the youths, because we're old yeah. now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it's, it, it, it is almost everywhere I go, like, uh, like on the internet in real life, like, the kids love Moana. The kids? Um, the kids, yeah. I do think on a narrative, I think on a, on a narrative, I think it's going to go down the way, like, the Little Mermaid did, where like it's a good, but like not an especially outstanding movie that really stuck around with kids and like uh, mm-hmm. became like a new poster thing. I think something like uh, Zootopia may be a better written movie and one that's more relevant as time goes on, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have like the easy to connect with thing that uh, Moana yeah. had. Or, See, like, I, the yeah, Disney, and, it was and, a and, little different from a Disney brand. Yeah, and Moana didn't burn itself out instantly like Frozen did. Yeah. Like, uh, like it's it it didn't it was it was it was a hit. Obviously, a lot of people really saw it and really liked it and everything, but it didn't 
it's more of a slow burn or not or like in terms of its cultural uh like awareness um frozen burned super brightly then just kind of petered out yeah and whereas then, i think moana is going to burn a lot longer i would argue coco also fits in that too fair that that's a fair that's a fair one i i, I just feel like uh at least in my experience uh people talk about moana a lot more than coco that's true. not that coco is absent from the cultural sphere but uh i, I feel like moana is the biggest recent disney movie that's going to last a while for sure yeah i mean it hasn't really hit the parks as hard as mm-hmm. like frozen and stuff and i say that just in terms of be, like disney um like disney knowledge um, and disney parks I, and stuff hold on liam i was i was almost done um is that like once something hits the disney parks then you know that shit mm-hmm. is gonna last forever and yeah. moana moana hasn't really hit the parks as hard like it's hit their offshore resorts and stuff like they have this I know a lot about Disneyland and Disney parks. Um, They have this uh, Hawaiian resort called Ulani. And, oh, boy, a lot of that place is Moana. (laughs) Um, Actually, uh, as, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, Was it uh, when I'm uh, around kids or whatnot, uh, one of the things that I hear uh, Moana probably come up the most out of all of them. Like, for a while, it was Frozen. But Frozen, especially after Frozen 2... Let's face it. Even a lot of kids didn't really give a shit anymore yeah. after Frozen Two came over. Just like um, it was, it was a movie. But Wana, yeah. I'm still hearing, uh, like even if it's not like selling a million pieces of merchandise or whatnot, as much as like Frozen did, it's still the ones I the one I hear kids referencing the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think that's a good contender as well. What else cool. do you got, Lucas? Um, I'm kind of running to my end, the end of my list, but and I, we're I have also a running convers- to the end of this segment. So look at Perfect. that. So should I, should I open it up with the prompt I mentioned before the show? Sure. Yes. All right. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, what MCU movies do you think are going to become classics? I, 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 I'm sure that a handful of them will. I think most of them are going to disappear into, you know, the ether, but, um, I'm sure that a handful of them are going to last a certain amount of time, you know? I so- think... Oh, I think so. I just have one quick hot take about the whole superhero movie genre thing as a whole when it comes to, I think the MCU style or way of like they make things, especially since uh, I talk to people and even myself, I struggle to remember things that happened in some of those movies. I feel like that brand or style is going to teeter its way out and die like the Western. Oh I yeah, for sure. One I, one day when the MCU is dead and gone in, in 3,426, <laughs> uh, when, when they finally stop making Marvel movies, um, uh, by then they'll be like 6D. But no, um, I don't like think wh- which ones. Which ones um, will will stick around? Because uh, um, I, I, I I agree, most of them are going to just sort of um, uh, the the production of them is going to peter out and die, and a lot of them are going to just sort of be forgotten. Um, what which I, ones are going to last? Um, before that, I was going to say that, though I do th- I do think all of that is going to uh, burn out and die. I don't think the idea of, like, a comic book or superhero inherently per se will die with it. Mm -hmm. I feel like the stuff that resonates with people will still have its place. But, like, the things that we're getting saturated with the most are definitely what's going to disappear. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Either Um, way, to answer Lucas's question, uh, I think, for me, like, in terms of phases of Marvel, I think that's kind of, like, a good place for us to start. Uh, I think really nothing in phase one uh aside from aside maybe first iron man i think might yeah Uh, iron man sure i would also maybe argue the avengers but i don't Mm -hmm. know if they're because 
you guys know how I feel about that movie, but I'm not, I'm also not going to take it away from anybody. So I I mean, it is a landmark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even people, even in in a few years after the Avengers came out, like, cause when it, it had the same effect the force awakens had where when it came out, it was hailed as like a masterpiece of a greatest thing that's ever been made. And then as time went on, like most reasonable thinking people were like, uh, still good or it's decent, but it's not like the outstanding godsend that uh, we thought it was the moment it arrived. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I mean, I think also, uh, to like add on to that, we also like, like the Avengers was the first like Avengers movie where all these things came together and, and like, uh, became like a co- cohesive unit. And then we just got more and more and more of that. So we got used to it. So that kind of makes the first Avengers less special as well. Sure. Yeah, I would agree. And I, so, and I also think the hype of it, uh, just like Phantom Menace, I, I think it's a much better movie than Phantom Menace, but like, just like Phantom Menace, the hype of like, oh, this is actually happening, uh, probably inflated a lot of, uh, opinions. I, I do think it, it's certainly a cultural landmark. Yeah. Uh, regardless of, uh, the quality. I think moving into phase two then, uh, you, everybody knows how we feel about Ultron. I think Ultron is significantly more, or culturally significant, more than the Avengers because it tackles mm. so much more than it does. essentially I, anything bef- in Phase One or any pretty much anything I else in Phase it's Two. Gonna have a, I think Age of Ultron is going to have a slow kind of like Empire kind of aging, mm-hmm. where like uh, it was lukewarm to not great reception when it came out, but slowly it built up as time went on. It gets mad hate. It gets it shit on. I, like, I have a couple different groups uh, that I play D&D with, and most of them are, like, usually somewhere around uh, five years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always like to be like, what's your favorite MCU movie? I really like Ultron. And everyone's like, what the fuck? It's great. <laughs> um, uh, one from Phase 2, but I think will definitely at least st- stick around. I think uh, just because it proved that something like that could sell, the first Guardians movie probably. Mm. Yeah, I feel like I Guardians is on the knife's edge. It's it's either going to be like remembered as like one of the best and like one of the classics, or it's going to be like, like, just completely forgotten. I go back and forth Me because too. like as much as I I genuinely do love the first Guardians movie, but like, uh, and and like, I I can I can just see the culture just losing interest. Me too. In 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 like that style of movie. yeah, I I feel um, like the James Gunn Marvel shtick. Is not gonna stick around for very long. Well, I think him him given... work. I wasn't finished. Him, him working in a little bit more of an adult oriented superhero scape just fits more with his style and his mm-hmm. technique. Um, they're not really like yeah. He still allows some, or Marvel still allows him some grace when it comes to uh, his Marvel productions. But I think the only reason why the Guardians movies are probably going to go down in history is because of him getting fired and then coming back. Mm. I think a lot well, of the before... that that portion of his career is going to be looked back on as like a oh remember when this happened right? Well, even before his firing, uh, in most cases where if you would talk to MC and still to this day if you talk to a lot of MCU fans, Guardians usually comes up pretty high on their favorites of on their favorites list. Hmm. And, and it was also like... a, a, a bit of a cultural shift. Like, uh, yeah. everything was sort of grimdark before that, and then bright colors in 80s, 80s music. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, and there's also the fact that um, 
every Marvel movie post that kind of started to become more and more like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah, it had a huge effect on the MCU. I think from Phase um, Three, I would argue Black Panther, um, mm, and Endgame, sure. and Endgame. But I think Endgame mostly just because it's the last. I know it didn't come mm. out last, but it's the also. Last. I feel like Winter Soldier might uh, last quite a while so i think that was phase yeah. two right yeah phase two yeah um, i, I like Black that movie panther part. i think it's especially talking to a lot of people in the three years since it's come out i feel like um black panther is more so and as opposed to the movie itself is more so going to be remembered for the cultural impact it packed it left as mm-hmm. like uh when that movie was coming out you could not there was so much hype around it that you could not get away with saying a single bad thing about it about black panther yeah yeah, and yeah. now a lot of those people are uh, starting to come around and be like, okay, it's still good, but there, were, there are some genuine problems we didn't really take into account. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think um, it, it, part of the reason I think it's going to be remembered, which is unfortunate, is because Chadwick Boseman passed away. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to elevate it a little bit. Um, like, it was, it was a big, like, regardless of the movie's quality, it was a huge cultural moment. Uh, is, as well, which I think is going to keep it in people's uh, memories for a long time as well. You don't get it's a lot similar... of black leads with superhero movies, so... Yeah, true. And, um, I think it's going to be a similar thing to, like, uh, though obviously not the exact same thing, like with Phantom Menace, where the movie's more so going to be... It's going to be remembered as good, but I think it's more so going to be remembered for the impact or, like, the culture around it when it was coming out. Yeah, I think we're all saying Like, the, the Phantom thing. Menace uh, was kind of, like, the in- teaching people the, the idea of, like... um. The, sometimes the emperor has no clothes you could be in denial but like that's not always but it's like like the phantom menace i've always argued is a more movie that is a movie that's more important culturally than it is um than it is like aesthetically or storytelling wise mm-hmm. oh yeah like, like yeah phantom menace is an extremely important movie culturally yeah and i think black movie, Pan- but... <laughs> and i think black panther is going to hit us is going to be a similar thing mm-hmm Aside from that, in terms of Phase 3, like I said, Endgame, but mostly just because it was the last of mm-hmm. the franchise. I Again, I am aware that Far From Home came out last in the phase. However... Yeah, but no one cares about that movie. Yeah, <laughs> let's face it. <laughs> like, I don't think a lot of the Spider-Man movies are going to really go down in, in history. Um, most yeah. Spider-Man movies usually don't. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, one thing I want to add about Endgame is I, th- I think it's going to stay, like, culturally relevant for as long as people have that memory of seeing it opening night. Yes. Yep. Because that is that is peak Endgame. See, like, like my my opinion on the movie has like deteriorated over time as mm-hmm. as yeah. does a lot of movies. But like that that will never take away from the experience of being in the theater with with fans on opening yep. weekend. Like that was honestly one of my favorite like experiences in a movie theater ever. Yep. It's, um, it, it's it's so it's exciting it's fun you just feel in that energy so as long as people have those memories i think endgame is going to stay really relevant i agree yeah. um yeah anything else to oh. add there on marvel uh no those, those are all that really come to mind cool well if you liked what you heard um be sure to stick around for that wonderful excite hold on let me fix that um that was our discussion on uh potential um future modern classics uh at least movies that have come out in the past 10 years roughly and uh when we come back from our little break here we're going to be doing a fun another edition of 
Cool Wars. That's right. We're going to be back with Cool Wars. We'll see you soon. The time structure of Whoville is not something I necessarily <laughs> want to do tonight. Should we, should, we, should we talk about like their, their inevitable end? Well, yeah. Wait, no, because I have a theory about Whoville. I mm. think when that snowflake hit the ground, they didn't die. They wound up on that little flower, and Horton hears a who because Horton <laughs> is talking to the is talking to the who's. All right, welcome back to the Thundercast. Uh, today we are going to be playing another edition of our fun little game, which is called Cool. That's right, Cool Wars is a game we like to play at the end of every single episode of the Thundercast in which we pit two characters up against each other based off of an arbitrary list that we made up. Uh, these characters are not physically fighting. They are purely fighting for a battle of coolness, which go ahead and de de Google the definition of cool and you'll see everything that we mean. Liam, who is on the uh, docket today? Uh, so today we have another interesting and exciting pairing. We've got John Wick versus Darth Vader. John Wick versus Darth Vader. That's right. Because we are actually in the second round of Cool mm -hmm. Wars. Isn't that exciting? I know we have already done a few matchups from this uh, lineup, but round two of Cool Wars. We are actually going to start making a new uh, rule for Cool Wars. Liam, put six minutes on the timer. Mm -hmm. As we've already talked about these people before, so... If you want to hear that, I don't know what episodes these characters uh, occurred on, so just go back and listen to every single episode of the Thundercast. And I'm sure you'll find or you know, just read <laughs> multiple times. No, yeah, listen yeah, to them multiple times. Yeah, or read the descriptions. Uh, uh, literature is your friend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, all right, and here we go. All right, all right. So both these characters have killed a lot of people. Yes, yeah. <laughs> which isn't necessarily cool. Uh, with rel with ease as well. That's they, true. They both have many scenes where they're just slaughtering people by the dozens, like without there, much effort. There is one difference between the two, though, mm -hmm. which is that um, one of them does it because he's often in a situation where there's no way out, and he kind of has to. The <laughs> other one does it because he's a uh, the he's the general for a fascist dictatorship. Yeah. <laughs> so. What? No. Already, automatically, I think being a dictator for a fascist is not <laughs> the coolest thing. Um, I mean, he's he's not, he's technically not the he's not the dictator, but right. yeah, you're right. He's the general. He's the right hand man. Yeah, yeah he's the he's essentially the Gabriel for a fa of a left hand for a fascist leader. Yeah, and then we have John Wick, who is just a very efficient killer. Mm. Uh, but does so, like Liam said, it, only when necessary. Well, not always. Well, when, <laughs> like, the situation the, is... The, uh, first, the first movie was that he didn't have to go kill all those people. He chose to. That's true. Like, <laughs> he came out of retirement. They killed his fucking dog. So. Well, he only wanted to kill the one guy. The problem is that that one guy has a lot of people who really wanted him dead and didn't want well, him to sure. kill said guy. He only wanted to kill that one person. But he was like, "All right, you're in my way. You're dead." <laughs> they were yeah. shooting at him. What would you do if you if if you were shooting at somebody? If somebody was shooting well, at you? Well, first off, hopefully I'm not shooting at anybody. <laughs> I do think both of them could equally kill someone with a pencil. Um, one yeah. would probably do it in True. a much cooler way with the force, like just lift up a pencil mm -hmm. and <laughs> like yeah, like yeah, it would be like 
Yeah, I was going to say it would be like Magneto uh, X-Men first class shit. Yeah. I mean, John Wick would, could probably throw the pencil at, at a velocity that would probably kill someone. Uh, however, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's nearly as cool of a fighting style. Uh, yeah. Darth, Darth Vader has a lightsaber. He has access to millions of weapons of mass destruction uh well one very specific one well, but here's the thing that thing's been blown, blown up, up multiple times <laughs> i would also i also think it's a lot more impressive or cool when somebody doesn't need that shit to be able to do it they That's are just right. capable of doing it on their own now i know we usually don't have them have fit like fights together but if they were to have a fight I do think Darth Vader would win. There's no yeah, question. No shit. <laughs> John Wick would be like, would pull out his gun. He's like, all right, let's do this. He's like doing his uh, John Wick thing. Then I was just like, nope, you're not moving anymore. <laughs> Cuts off his hand. Yeah. <laughs> Loves to cut off hands. That's another thing. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Uh, let, let's talk about their their portrayals uh, for a moment. Uh, I. Uh, John Wick is played by uh, a Hollywood superstar and uh, just pe- someone people love, Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Darth Vader is uh, voiced by uh, James Earl Jones. They've got they both got cool people behind them too. That's true. Yes, the portrayals mm-hmm. I do think will play a huge part in Cool Wars moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I think. Personally speaking, I think Keanu Reeves is just a cooler guy than uh, James Earl Jones. James Earl James Jones. Gross. James Earl Jones is a better voice, though. That's true. I mean, how many? But how many productions has James Earl Jones sacrificed forty percent of his salary for to pay everybody else on the on the set? That is right? that is fair. That's that also fair. Keanu, not the character. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, Still an integral part. Uh, I think John Wick would probably do that too. He'd spend all those weird coins. <laughs> <laughs> To save the Bene Gesserit. Wait, no, sorry. No, <laughs> not, not the wrong movie. movie. Yeah. Um, no, what's biggest it called? Thing, uh, the hotel? Uh, Whatever. Yeah, oh, the I Continental. Don't there it is. Continental, yeah. there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, one thing Darth Vader does have that has left his, uh, that has given him a huge impact is his presence and his design. Mm-hmm. Like how he's like a super sci-fi uh, samurai, again, in uh, aesthetic and, uh, was it, in presentation. Um, like, mm-hmm. you see a picture of Darth Vader and... You know that's Darth Vader. You know who that is. Yeah, you see a picture of John Wick, you're like, ooh, Keanu Reeves. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> but then again, you see him in, a, in that tuxedo. You know that's John Wick, right? And with, with, with like, the long hair and everything, like, yeah. that specific look. Yeah, that's very John. That's very uh, iconic. Yeah. Um, mm. Where are we at, Liam? We probably have, like, 40 One seconds. Minute. One minute left. One minute. Okay. Um, uh, I, I'm trying to listen to the arguments. Um but I'm very biased on this one, to be perfectly honest. That's totally um, fair. Yeah, no, I think, again, a big draw for me here is I find it a lot more impressive when somebody doesn't have, like, a, a what is it, an immediate arsenal or, like, superpowers they can pull from. Yeah, well, Darth Vader doesn't necessarily need it. Oh. He could very well overthrow an entire civilization just by his own hand. And when you think about it, he's he's severely uh, uh, disadvantaged just because, you know, all those midichlorians in his blood after he got all his limbs cut off, he had less midichlorians. Is that a, th- is that a thing in the Star Wars? <laughs> I don't movie? know. I'm making this shit up. <laughs> uh, and both of them did what they did for love. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say Anakin Skywalker murdered children yeah, remember, for love. Yeah, remember? Yeah, no, his whole mentality by the end was, especially when it came to his wife, 
live. Liberal, kill you. That's essentially what it came down to. Essentially, yes. All right. All right, that's my timer. Okay. Ready? Three, two, two one. One. John Wick. John Wick. Sorry, Lucas. <laughs> I really don't. I, I figured it was going to happen. I really didn't I, like, think the thing is, fight. Deep down, I feel like I'm wrong, but I can't. I just can't. <laughs> yeah. Once, you, once you've stuck with something for so long, it's hard to back down on it. Lucas. Darth, you... Darth, Vader, Darth Vader's presence is just so big in my mind. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Lucas, do you want to take us out? Sure. Uh, well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please follow us on social media. We are Thunder Lizard Collective on uh, Facebook, YouTube, and uh, Instagram. Uh, we are Thunder Lizard OG on Twitter. And we also have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash, was it Thunder Lizard Collective? Just Thunder Lizard. Just Thunder Lizard. Patreon.com slash Thunder Lizard. You said that multiple times during the episode. I, I did. Done that. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, uh, like and follow and rate five stars on all of the. Uh, uh, I heard the term podcaster recently oh. uh, for for in terms of uh, podcasting platforms. So I'm going to start using that. Okay. <laughs> uh, we also have another show uh, called Thunder and Dragons. Uh, it's a D&D actual play podcast with myself as the Dungeon Master or Thunder Master, uh, Liam and Christian, and our friend Dan as the players uh, and uh, uh, we'd like to thank our patrons Kate, Tanya, Scott, Manos and Owen, thank you very much for your support yeah, it means the world to us, thank you so much uh, is there anything else? that's it, you got it Perfect. this has been the Thundercast for this week my name is Christian my name is Lucas and I'm Liam, hopefully one day you'll see us as a modern classic but See, I'm, I'm not super familiar with Seuss lore. <laughs> <laughs>